Hello, and welcome to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur, where Hayut Yogev speaks with entrepreneurs for entrepreneurs about reaching or missing the critical point of approaching the right customer with the right message at the right time and place. The point where business success starts. And here is your host, Hayut Yogev. Rich or Miss, episode 184. Hey, Richers, how are you? This is Hayut, and I'm with you, like every Monday. And today I have something new, especially for you. Most of you say your biggest struggle is getting more customers. So I've been working on a special live training for you with seven practical ways to get more customers and three principles you must keep. The live training will be on Wednesday, October 21st at 2 p.m. East. So go to bit.ly ly slash seven practical ways in one word bit dot li slash seven practical ways to grab your seat today and now let's meet my guest today the amazing bill flynn who will talk about three things successful businesses do With more than 30 years of experience working for and advising hundreds of companies, including 10 startups, Bill Flynn has had a long track record of success. Five successful outcomes, two IPOs, and seven acquisitions, including a turnaround during the 208 financial crisis. He has been a VP sales eight times, twice a CMO and once the general manager of a division of $100 million and IT services company until he pivoted to become a business growth coach. As a coach, Bill has earned certifications and collectivated partnerships from organizations such as Scaling Up, Metronome United, Predictive Index, MassMap, Small Giants, and the NIO Leadership Institute. He is also an author and international speaker. Bill's best-selling book, Further Faster, The Vital Few Steps That Take the Guesswork Out of Growth, continues to garner a five-star rating. Let's meet Bill Flynn. Bill Flynn, what a pleasure to have you here with me. Hi. Hi, Hayut. Thank you for having me. Yeah, it's a great pleasure. And I just shared with our audience what you've done until now. And I would like to ask you to share with us, what are you doing and most passionate about today? And where are you heading? Uh, so what I'm doing now is uh, I'm, I've transitioned recently in the last couple of years from being a startup guy. So I've done 10 startups over about wow. 25 years. And now I'm a business coach. So I've sort of taken all of my mistakes uh, <laughs> over the and years successes. And, and successes and I've packaged them up and, I'm, and I, help, um, I help leadership teams to, as I like to say, since you're a marketing person, to take the guesswork out of growth. That's my sort of tagline. <laughs> there is so much guesswork. Unfortunately, with startups, isn't it? Yes, so much, so much. And part of, that's part of the fun. 
<laughs> for you. <laughs> you have got of it. You know, you have to sort of make it more predictable and, and such. And uh, what are you most passionate about it? What do you really um, excited about? Uh, most passionate probably about my daughter. Oh, that's great. <laughs> that would be my best. Uh, that would always be my first answer. Um, but not personally on the professional side. You know, I, I think it's a shame that really good ideas, really good people and really good businesses either go out of business or struggle for completely preventable reasons. So m- my goal over the next 20 years is to share with as many people as possible that that, that doesn't have to happen. There are ways that have been proven to grow your business, to get a startup going, and then, of course, turn into a real business that's, that's predictable. Even with all the uncertainty around, there's, there's a lot of predictability in, in business, but most people don't know that. So I've been studying it for about 30 years, really, mm-hmm. really intensely in the last four or five. And, and I found that there are a few things that really, really good companies do well, and they do them consistently, and they thrive over generations and centuries. Wow, that's interesting. Can you mention a few of them? Yeah, so what I found is that the best leaders, it's really more the person that's leading than the company itself, because if you don't have a succession plan and, and they, they sort of follow the same steps, it, it falls apart. We've seen that lots of times. Uh, Microsoft is probably the best example. You know, Balmer didn't quite do what Gates was doing, and now Satya Nadella is doing even better things than mm-hmm. Gates was doing. So yeah. it really has to be a leader. But what they do really well is they focus on the team as the primary people portion of what they do, because teams do almost everything in business. Supposedly there's somewhere between 80 and 85% of us are on a team of some sort. And many of us are on more than one team. And often there are some of those of us that are on a team that isn't represented in the org chart. Mm -hmm. And we never really teach people how to be really good team leaders. It's a skill that can be taught and you can get better and better at, but we don't teach it. The second thing is, can we write sort of write down your alley there? Ayut is um is because around sort of strategy and marketing and sales is that strategy and execution mm-hmm. are two really important pieces to the business, and they are two sides of the same coin. I agree. And those that do it well create a system. There are lots of business operating systems out there. So far, I've found twenty four. I think. <laughs> um, and I think you know, first off, it's. Having a system is better than having no system. Most of us just sort of guess and go by intuition and, and history uh, and legacy. Um, but creating a system is necessary to have a future that you can predict, which is really a future that you predict is one that you create yourself. Hmm, I love that. Because you talk a lot about the prediction, and I love that sentence, the one you create yourself. Yes, exactly. It's a beautiful one, and it is really something you can predict, but so many times we forget that. Agreed. That uh, we are actually uh, drawing our path and our way in the future. So true. And then the last one I think is cash, is cash should be your primary growth metric. Once you, you're no longer a startup, once you're a, a scale-up, or a real business, so to speak. Cash should be your primary growth metric because it takes cash to grow and you typically have to invest in front of growth. So I teach all my clients to think about what do you want to look like in three, four, five years, maybe 10 years, whatever the, whatever the right time frame is. I typically keep it in a three to four year time frame. And then how much will it cost to do that? How many factories do you need to buy? How many people do you need to hire? What tools do you need? How much those cost, et cetera? And then, okay, now let's go from that and work a plan 
that allows us to generate that kind of cash. I wish I heard you in my very early stages as an entrepreneur because I didn't realize I'm going to need it so fast and the extra cash to do what I wanted to do. So I think it's so important. However, I wanted to ask you, you put a lot of emphasis on the team issue. Yeah. And a lot of entrepreneurs starting either by themselves or with a very small team. So are you talking about another stage, the second stage of entrepreneurship, or are you only working with teams? Yeah. Um, so most businesses that grow, somehow a team pops up, right? Because it's typically sure. more than yourself. And being able to, to know how to run a team is really important. So of course, yeah, if I think, you know, once you have more than one person, there is somewhat of a team there. Uh, so you have to, Definitely. to learn to work with someone else and other people. You had 10 companies and you're working with uh, many more today. And I want to ask you, what would be your best advice to any entrepreneur that listening to us right now? Regarding the customer focus, marketing and sales, but if you have any other advice that will change the business aspect, this is good as well. Yeah, of course. So I speak differently to a, an entrepreneur who is a startup person mm -hmm. versus someone who's beyond a startup. Because I think a startup and a scale-up are two completely different things. I'm a huge fan of Steve Blank, who is sort of known as the godfather of startups. Uh, he was mm -hmm. a professor at the University of Berkeley. I don't know if you know who he is. I know who he is. <laughs> yeah, he has a great definition, which is startups are temporary organizations in search of a business model. <laughs> It's beautiful. So for that person, I have a particular set of things that I recommend. Is One is solve a problem that's worth solving for yourself and your target customer. So you have to care about the problem. It has to be interesting to you. And it also has to be something worthy of the other person. And worthy is, there may be a lot of worthy problems out there to solve, but if the target customer you're going after doesn't have it high enough up in their priority list, mm -hmm. then it doesn't matter to them. Sure. So you, you can solve it really well, but if they don't care, it doesn't matter. Of course. So that's sort of the, the first thing I, I say to startup founders. The second thing is what you mentioned earlier is I say, don't run out of money. Those are your two things to focus on, right? Great. Solve the problem we're solving and don't run out of money. Love it. So then you get to the, to the entrepreneur who now has a business that's growing. There's some predictability and scalability sure. to that business. My advice at a high level is this saying, which is few things truly matter in business and really in life, but those that do matter tremendously. Hmm. As a leader, you need to focus and figure out what those few things are that matter to your, your teams, your employees, if you will and your customers. And you mentioned sort of marketing and sales perspective, and I'm, I'm a eight-time VP of sales and two-time CMO. <laughs> yeah, I saw that. It's very impressive. And what I've learned is that we don't really know how to do sales and marketing very well. Uh, we generally focus on the supply side of those things where we're basically telling someone why we're so awesome <laughs> and why you should buy from us, and people don't really care. Right. Um, People don't care what you do. They care about what you do. For them. Does for them. Sure. So you really need to focus on the demand side of the equation, which is, I'm a big fan of jobs to be done. If you're familiar with that um, process, are you familiar with jobs to be done? No. So you, you probably, I highly recommend that you look into this. I, I think you would love it. I would. So it basically says that people don't buy products. They hire 
products and services to do a particular job for them. And then when something else comes along, they will fire what you have and hire something else. And very often, we don't, as entrepreneurs, really know why our customers buy from us. We think we know. Mm-hmm. Because we don't ask. But often we're, we don't ask, and we don't ask in the right way. We basically say, why do you like me so much? And then they, they tell you the reasons from your website. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time we think we know, so we don't need to ask. And I agree with you so much because I think the definition for marketing is looking at everything from the point of view of your customer. Exactly. Because the money is in their pockets and the need and the solution is in yours. So once you look at things from their perspective, you will win. But most of us don't do that. Most of us don't. And there's, can I tell a little story to that? You should. Yeah, so, and I, so I'll make it my story. I, I often tell another one, but um, so I started at a company that did data backup. This was in 2005. So this was before, you know, this was about, tape was still being used a lot. Hmm. And we were trying to break into, uh, into this market and replace the tape, the use of tape and other ways uh, to, to store information and then hopefully get it back if something happened. Okay. And this is a company called LiveVault. So when I came in, I had, uh, this was, I think, the second or third time I was a uh, head of sales, and I had a process that I had been developing. And the process really was, when I come in and I start, I, I don't really come in and tell, I don't give orders or do things. I actually do a lot of research. And so I, I want to talk to existing customers. And so I, I reached out to a bunch of customers. And before I did this, I asked the uh, head of marketing and the head of the company, I said, why do you think our customers buy from us? We, we already had hundreds of customers by then, small, medium business owners. Okay. And I was told, well, they buy us for insurance. And to be quite honest, it was a relatively good answer because it wasn't about us. It was about them. We were providing an insurance policy, if you will. They were paying us some money every month, and they were basically investing in that. So if for some reason disaster struck or whatever happened and they lost data, They would get it back, and they were willing to pay us some money every month to do that. Um, so I thought that was a really good answer. I said, "Well, that's great, but I still want to ask you know our customers that." So I reached out and I, and I had about 20 people on my list, and I spoke to to I think it was I ended up speaking to 17. And what was really interesting, uh, I asked a bunch of questions, but really the focus was one question, which was, "What is the most valuable thing that you got from using our service?" And I said thing on purpose because I didn't want to say feature or benefit or whatever. I wanted them to sort of just whatever came to the top of their head. Mm, it was sure. amazing. 12 out of the 17 people said almost the exact same words to me, which was set it and forget it. Mm. These were super busy, small to medium business owners who had so much to do. Um, and they knew they had to do this data thing. It was really important, but it was such a pain in the ass. And they said, okay, so I don't have to buy tapes. record things, you know, write words on the side, make sure I do it, don't put it in my car, store it in the right place, all these things I have to do. All I have to do is push three or four buttons, and then I never have to think about it again. Wow, I love it. And they said, how much does that cost? <laughs> <laughs> It's so beautiful. It's such a beautiful example to things that we are talking about all the time, but it's so simple and so beautiful. It is. And, and the end of the story is, so I told my sales team, I said, here's the deal. You know, we're going to learn technique and all these wonderful things, but you need to say these words. When you talk to new customers, you have to say, our best customers buy from us because they're super busy, small to medium business owners, and they just care about set it and forget it. I said, you must say those five words every time. <laughs> and from then on, we grew 
at an exponential rate. Um, wow. We beat month after month, quarter after quarter. And 18 months after I got there, Iron Mountain bought us for 10 times revenue. Wow. And it wasn't me. It wasn't just me. But I think... Of course, it was the team, but it's beautiful. Yeah, we proved it, right? We proved to them, who was, they were already a partner of ours. We proved to them this, this is going to be a thing. It's going to happen. And they wanted to buy in early because they were, you know, they wanted to make sure that they were killing their, killing their young, if they will, if you will, right? <laughs> they were putting themselves out of business. Love it. Great story. You already told us about one success just now. And we will talk about it in a minute because I want to hear more. But I would like to ask you now to tell me what is your biggest, most critical failure with customers? The one that affected your entrepreneurial journey or your career journey the most or almost the most? Yeah, I don't know that I can do one particular thing. But um, so, so I was a head of sales many, for many times, but I was a sales guy at one point. You know, I was in my 20s a long time ago <laughs> and I sold stuff. And I started off as an inside sales team for a company that sort of competed with Novell at the time in the 80s. Yeah. And I was really, really bad at it. Uh, <laughs> and I couldn't figure out why. Because I, I mean, I, I did relatively well in school. I'm pretty smart. Uh, you know, and I knew my product and service. Uh, I, I knew it really well. I, I'm, you know, generally a nice person and people like talking to me. And so I couldn't figure it out. And, and, and I, I struggled for years. Um, and then I, I asked myself, well, why is that? You have all these other things in place. And I found out that I said, why do people buy things, you know, and, and, and what's the process they do? And, and we call it a decision-making process, right? You know, it's, we have Bant and, woman and all these wonderful phrases about how to make sure you have the right thing, but it's really what decisions did they make to do that? So I said, how do people make decisions? And really more importantly, how does the brain make a decision? So I looked it up and I read about it and I learned that the brain makes decisions in ways that I never thought it did. It made no, it's not intuitive of how a, a brain makes a decision. And they've done a lot of work with fMRIs. And what they found is that when when the brain makes a decision, mostly the emotional part of the brain lights up <laughs> more than anything else. So so and and the emotional side, you know, most people call it the limbic system. There's a lot of you know there's a lot of controversy on you know is there a limbic system? Is you know is it one in one part? Whatever. But regardless, you know we make decisions emotionally, and the older system that we have, the limbic system, doesn't have language. Language came later. So we actually make up reasons after the fact. Uh, we rationalize our decisions. We don't make rational decisions. Hmm. So what I started to do is said, okay, what I need to do is I need to find ways to make sure that I'm uh, addressing the emotional side of the decision process, which is about trust and, you know, and, um, and acknowledgement and all those types of things. So um, one thing I did do, I started to do, I said, okay, how can I make sure that these people understand that, that I'm on their side? Because if, if they feel like you're, they're helping them, even though you're trying to sell them something, they're much more likely to buy from you, right? Because if they buy from an emotional from an emotional point of view, then if they like the person and they feel the other person cares and acknowledge and validates them, they're much more likely to have an emotional connection to that person. Sure. So every meeting I started, I, I did the same thing, which was I said, okay, we're going to be together for half an hour, 45 minutes, an hour, whatever it is. I said, can you describe for me what a good hour would be for you? What would be an ideal outcome? of this meeting and and what would what would you have to know and hear from me in order for that to be useful for you and i always tried to find the person i called the bully with the juice 
Uh, and the bully with the juice is not necessarily the decision maker or the person who signs the contract. It's the person who has the most influence over the decision. Um, and you need to sort of figure that out um, as, as a salesperson because it's, it's not always who you think it is. Okay. Uh, so you do that and then, then make sure that you get from them. But then, of course, you go around the room. And then whatever was told to me, I would write down. Uh, and then I totally tailored my pitch, my demonstration, whatever, around what they wanted as the most important things. And I covered them all. And then I went through the checklist at the end. I said, okay, you said you wanted A and B and C. And how did I do? Did I miss anything? And then I would then, if there was something that they missed that other people really liked and cared about, I would say, hey, you didn't mention this is important to you, but I'm going to bring it up because other people who are like you also did it. And then I would add one or two things. And from that point on, I was the number one or number two salesperson everywhere I went. That's fantastic. But you need to tell me a story about the failure. Well, that was a failure. But the failure was I was bad at it. Okay. At the beginning, I tried, you know, I worked hard. I studied. I, you know, I, I got my pitch down, right? That was a failure. I, the failure was trying to tell them why they should buy from me. I understand. As opposed to trying to understand what caused them to buy. So that was for a while and then you figured it out and actually you told me the story of your success as well? Yeah, exactly. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. I understand it. We just uh, need to say, did you feel that it's a failure? Did you, um, did you go with the feeling that you are not uh, breaking it through for a while? Yeah, it was, it was really frustrating, right? Because you did all these things and you said all these things and you kind of had to cross your fingers and hope that someone would say yes. Uh, mm. And that's not a really good feeling. There's so much out of your control and, and you can't completely control a sales process no matter what, but you can certainly influence it better than I was doing it. Do you have any other success story? Because now is the time to tell us the story of the greatest, most significant success as a result of something you did right. And perhaps that's what you, your success story, which is a beautiful story. Yes. Oh, but if you want to tell something else, you can. <laughs> sure. So my best success story is not the one I, I said already. My greatest success is the reason I'm a coach now. Between start of five and six, I was asked by my daughter and my wife, my daughter was seven at the time. And they said, you, you really need to do another one because you know, you've been an entrepreneur and it takes a lot of time and energy and attention. And you know, I had done pretty well. I was actually five for six in my first six. Mm -hmm. So the one, the one between five and six was the failure of the, of the five out of six. Uh, it took a lot of, it took a lot out of me. It was really frustrating and difficult. So I said, yeah, it'd be great. I'll take a break. And it was wonderful. And I, you know, I drove my daughter to school every day and I picked her up and, you know, I, I went to the gym and I did all these wonderful things. And, but as I was doing that, I was asked by, by friends of mine, could I come in and help? They heard I wasn't working in at the time, you know, Hey, would you mind if I, if you came in and sort of gave me some thoughts or would you help me sell this or position this or whatever? It was, it was fun. And, and, and I did that about five or six different, for five or six different people. And One of them was a guy who was recommended to me by an old CFO of, of mine. And he, he said, look, I want, I, I'm tired. I want to sell the business. I would like you to come in and make me look as big as you possibly can so I can sell this you know, for as much as possible. So I did that and I eventually joined. Uh, and it was, a, um, it was an email hosting company before. This was really before Office 365. And Gmail was not quite a thing yet. Okay. It was really the precursor to Office 365. We were, we were a Microsoft certified partner. And so he left and, and I was asked to take over the whole division. So it was about, a, it was about <laughs> okay. 50, 60 people in the division. We were, I don't know, nine or $10 million at the time. So not a huge, 
business. We had been bought by about a $100 million organization. And my first official day on the job, we're, we're on January 2nd, 2009. So we're right in the middle of the 2008 recession problem, which was, which was certainly an issue. Sure. And then also to put on top of that, the technical infrastructure, which was the thing that got email in and out of the system, collapsed. So we didn't, we didn't send email to anyone for really two and a half days. Okay. Uh, so we lost. And it, the, and this is an email yeah, so, company. So that's not a, that's not a good thing. <laughs> okay. Just wanted to point it yeah, out. And, and you know, you have email. Yeah. Email is like air. You know, it's just supposed to be there. It's just, it's just supposed to work. Um, so uh, we lost a thousand customers, give or take, in about a week. And I had wow. customers calling in all the time, yelling and screaming at me and other people. And so we had to do something. Luckily, the, the company that bought us knew that we were going to upgrade the infrastructure. We just had to accelerate the process. But I had, you know, I had another, I had hundreds and hundreds of, probably seven, six to 7,000 other customers. And I had, you know, dozens of people working for me. So I had to do something. Um, so what I did is I cobbled together this process that I said, okay, what we need to do is figure out how are we going to get out of this thing? We're going to fix the technical infrastructure, but we still need to fix the company. We have to take care of the people. And I had two or three really inexperienced managers working with me. So what I told them was, we're going to sit down and we're going to figure out what does success look like? Let's just picture ourselves in the future and how would it look like for each of us? And we, we discussed and debated and then finally decided on what we liked. Uh, and I said, great. Now what I need you to, each of you to do is to draw the map from where we are today to what you need and what's going to happen to get us to where you say is the ideal outcome. And we're going to help each other. And we're going to work every day, every week together to try to make this thing work. Um, and it worked fabulous. We, uh, wow. so I left about 18 months later to do another startup. We were on our, we were on pace to double the mm. size of the business in that two year time frame. Um, wow. uh, one of the things that I said was, you know, we're, we're a technology company, but basically we're a service company. I said, the only way to really know if you're giving great service is to ask. So when I first started, we asked every quarter, sent out a survey, and this was before NPS was really popular. I just said, scale on a one to five. How are we yeah. doing, basically? And the first time we did it was a 2.9 out of five, which is a 58% approval rate, which is not, not very good. <laughs> not the best. Not the best. Uh, and when yeah. I left, it was 4.6. So it's 92%. Wow. Uh, so that's a lot of fives. Uh, that's mostly fives. Uh, hmm. and you know, other things happened, which is great. We doubled the, uh, we added 30% to the, to the average order size. I didn't lose one employee. I instituted a bunch of other things. Wow. And so, but the best part, so that's all wonderful. My resume looks good. And if you look at LinkedIn, you can see all these great numbers and metrics and things, but the best part, and the reason I do what I do today, <laughs> and why I say this is my biggest success is two of the managers that were the least experienced said almost the same exact thing to me when I left, which was, they said, Bill, I just want you to know. What you made me do, I hated it. It was really, really hard. But I'm so glad you made me do it. Because now I know what to do. And mm -hmm. I, I said, you know what? I want that again. I want to help people that way again. And basically, I was a coach. So about five years or so ago, I became a coach. And now I do it for <laughs> probably a handful of people right now. But I've worked with dozens and dozens of companies. Fantastic. What a nice story. I think everyone can take it's really practical advice that everyone can draw this map to themselves. Well, 
can you recommend the best, most effective technological or digital tool that's related to customer focus marketing or sales? However, I'm not looking for the last shiniest tool in the endless list. I'm looking for something that really works for you and helps you succeed and might help other entrepreneurs to succeed as well. Yeah, um, so I, I think there's a tool that I wouldn't consider technological or digital, um, but I will mention one, but I think there's a better tool that surpasses all technical or digital tools. But so for me, the one thing that I use that I think has the greatest impact in my business, technologically or digitally, is really the combination of tools that allow my message to get out. So I would say I have a website and I write a blog post twice a month and I primarily focus it on LinkedIn because mm-hmm. that's really probably the best place for, for that message to get out. And it's the message I mentioned earlier, right? It's a shame that too many businesses go out of business for completely preventable reasons. And I just put out a, a graph today, mm. which, which I, looked, I looked at the stats in the US since 1994. And if you started a business in 1994, in five years, 50% of those people were out of business. In 15 years, yeah. 75% of those people were out of business. And in 25 years, 80 four percent of people are out of business so the longer you're in business the less likely yeah, you right. are to stay in business which is completely counterintuitive because you figure if you're in business longer you'd learn stuff and you get better but that's not what the data show hmm. no and when we're talking about entrepreneurs it's even much much worse yeah I think I, when... I, 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 I listened to was you said it was the latest date is five to ten percent or something like that yeah yeah the last research that I've seen, talked about four percent for so yeah but it's hard to say because it all depends on how you define success but yes people are talking about it if you're an entrepreneur and my definition for entrepreneur is coming with something new yeah not new that nobody ever did but bringing something new that you are very good at maybe the way you are coaching people is your entrepreneurship as well Yeah, I do. I definitely find that I do it slightly differently. I weave a lot of neuroscience into my coaching and I've kind of cobbled together, you know, a few different things from different systems. I mentioned there were 23 or 24 different business operating systems and some are good at some things, some are good at others. I found the things that I liked and then I added some stuff of my own. So it's kind of my own thing, sort of. Um, but uh, yeah, I would say that's sort of where I've been entrepreneurial uh, in what I do. Coaching is certainly not a new thing. Um, but I don't actually consider myself a coach per se. I'm much more of a teacher than I am hmm. a coach. Uh, I am teaching people how the really good companies ran their business. I love that. And I'm going back. You're talking about LinkedIn, right? Yeah. We heard this answer in, within the 170 uh, interviewees that we talked with. However, we didn't hear it for a while. And I... I must say that I think that uh, not enough entrepreneurs are using LinkedIn. I know that many women entrepreneurs, which I'm a bit involved with, are using Facebook. And it's good. It's great. And Facebook groups is a great tool. But don't neglect LinkedIn. LinkedIn is a great tool. I do agree with you. Yeah. And the, and the reason I say that is, is similar to this, you know, sort of the premise of your, of your show is that As a 20-some-odd-year marketing and sales guy, I'm lazy. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I like to combine laziness with intelligence. Uh, so I, I try to do as little work as possible and get the most out of it. And what I've found is that 
if you really understand your customer, and again, back to that, you know, what causes them to buy, and then you really understand who they are, then you can find out where do they congregate, because like people often congregate in the same places. And, you know, we talk about social media people where you have to be on everything. And, and I just completely disagree. You have to be where your customers are. Sure, <laughs> sure. Uh, spend most of your time and energy there. If you don't know where they are, then, of course, you're spraying and praying, right? You're just hoping that someone's, oh, that's, you sound really smart. Let me reach out to you. But, man, that's a lot of time and energy and cost in some cases. And, again, I, I don't want to do that. I, I'm a one-man band, so I, I can't. Uh, so, so that's why I think LinkedIn is really the primary place for me. But I don't actually get most of my clients. Most of my clients are referrals, and, and I work with a lot of different partners. Sure. And they send me a lot of business. And I'd rather do that because now I'm a known sure. entity as opposed to having to sort of, quote, unquote, sell to them. Yeah, once you are known and you did a great job, you have referrals. Once you're an entrepreneur just starting out, you have to find your own tools to use, and LinkedIn is a great one. Yeah. There are many factors that affect one's success. But I do believe that for each of us, there is one thing that really helps us succeed. And I want to ask you, what is your one key success factor? So I may be fooling myself because, again, I'm a neuroscience guy. So I, I know that there are tons and tons <laughs> of biases that we all have and we all think we're better than we are. And um, my brain seems to be able to find patterns mm -hmm. differently and more quickly than others. Wow. And that... That seems to be my little superpower. Mm -hmm. And I think that's why I was relatively good at sales and marketing, especially in startups, because startups is basically, to me, startups is, startups is a crossword puzzle, mm -hmm. right? It's, it's the Saturday New York Times crossword puzzle. <laughs> uh, super hard. And I'm sure there, there are London, um, you know, English, British yeah. crossword puzzles. Artists. Yeah, for sure. But the Saturday New York Times crossword puzzle is one of the hardest crossword puzzles you could do. And that's a startup. It's really hard to do a startup to try to figure out what all the pieces are and how they connect to each other and try to get inside ahead of not just one human being, but a collection of human beings and know what they're thinking in order to be able to provide them something. That's just really difficult. But my brain seems to be relatively good at it. I'm extremely curious as a person. I ask a lot of questions. I ask questions more like a reporter or really more like an interrogator, like these, the FBI. Or <laughs> I, I interrogate people more than I interview them. And I do get people who say, wow, this, you know, this, people don't, you, I don't get asked as many questions like, like you do. And so I, I think that's part of it, right? I think all those things sort of go together. And, and, and that helps me to see patterns that, that others don't see or they don't see as quickly as I do. Hmm. It's a beautiful answer. My last question before I ask you what is the best way to connect with you is my mountain question. And mm -hmm. as my listeners know, I've been always imagining this journey of marketing and later on the journey of entrepreneurship is climbing a mountain. And I want to ask you whether you ever climbed a mountain or wished to climb a mountain or do you have any relationships with mountains at all? Yeah, so, so absolutely. And, and, and I think this is a great question, <laughs> especially for people who want to scale their business, because it's, it's basically like scaling a mountain. And, and I like to use the Everest example, which is, you know, if you're going to scale Everest, you don't just decide one day and then start climbing. You have to prepare. Mm -hmm. You have to, you know, sort of do some deduction and some other things before you start doing production, right? Deduce before you produce. So you're, you're ready and, and you're prepared and you know what's, you at least have an idea of what's going to be coming to you. 
And then you don't go to the top right, right away. You go to the base camp and then you, you, you work there and you say, okay, what's the next step? And then you go to the next step and you acclimate to the environment and then you do the next step. And sometimes you have to go back down because the weather is terrible where you are and you have to you know, move back down the mountain. And so it's a great metaphor because that's really what you're doing. And you can't really see the top at, from at the bottom. Right. Mm-hmm. You, you know, you might have a vague understanding, but you really don't get it until you're there. So I, I love I love this as a uh, I was really excited to answer this question. <laughs> so I'm not a, I'm not a big hiker and such, but I do. You know, we do love Stowe, Vermont. Um, so I've been up Mount Mansfield, which is in Vermont. Um, I've also um, driven up um, Pikes Peak in Colorado, which is one of the largest um, United States. I think it's 14 or 15 thousand feet yes and then the, the best one i went up which was just fun it was above the clouds and and it was beautiful it was in hawaii it was in maui it's um called haleakala um which is basically i think a it's a cone right it's really a, a volcano oh and if you have any photos of this mountain or you you're climbing it it will be great oh my i think my wife took some pictures i'll, I'll have to ask her beautiful bill what is the best way to contact you and to be in touch with you for any of our listeners that would like to be in touch? Sure. Um, so the best way to get to me and to all of my stuff, um, so as, as I mentioned already, I write a blog post. They're all really short. I try to keep them to be one to two minute reads. And they all, almost all of them are action oriented. There is something for the reader to do. Um, okay. Maybe they're an exercise or, or something. I also have written a book, which we didn't really talk about, which is also you can download for free from my site. Or you can okay. go to Amazon or Audible and, and buy it. You know, either way is fine. I'm more about getting the message out than getting the money for it. Hmm. And that website is catalystgrowthadvisors.com. And we will have the link to the website in our show notes. And is there any preferred uh, social media? I guess LinkedIn is the preferred one. Yeah, that's where I'm there the most. Uh, I um, put things out on a regular basis. Uh, I also, I try to be a good citizen of LinkedIn and I, mm-hmm. and I go and, and I comment on things. I try to add value. I'm a bit of an iconoclast. And so I'm, you'll see many of my posts, probably too many are me disagreeing with, <laughs> with the person, <laughs> but I give science to say why I disagree. Um, and I don't do it necessarily just to be churly or, or difficult, but I, I also want to make sure that other people understand that there's a different point of view here. Just because you've created a large network doesn't mean that what you're saying is always true. <laughs> Beautiful, I love that. Um, so yeah, that's the best place to find me. Okay. Bill, I would like to thank you. I enjoyed this conversation so much. Thank you so much for coming here. Esther. It has been a pleasure. Thank you. And thank you for having me on. I'm really, I really appreciate it. I'm, I was looking forward to this and it did not let me down. <laughs> I'm so happy with that. Have a good day and take care. Take care. Cheers. Bye-bye. And for you, our listeners, until the next time, It all goes down to this. You either reach or miss. Keep reaching your goals and vision. Bye. Thank you for listening to the Reach or Miss Show, the podcast for the customer-focused entrepreneur. You can find all the information, links, and resources that was mentioned at the show in our website, reachormiss.com. See you next week.